Welcome to The Protagonistas, a podcast that is centered on highlighting the stories and experiences of Black, Indigenous, and other women of color among communities of faith. Our conversations sit at the intersection of race, gender, sexuality, and spirituality. I'm your host, Kat Armas. Hola, friends. It is Tuesday, August 3rd, which means that we are one week away from the launch of Awelita Faith, and I am just so excited this month to celebrate Awelita Faith, we have some fun stuff on the podcast, like today's episode, for example, in which I chat with Dayo Ajanaku, which is the face of the Black Enneagram on Instagram. Dayo is a content creator who focuses on bringing joy and justice to the world. She is the owner and founder of the Instagram page, The Black Enneagram, where she offers basic Enneagram education through Black culture and Black images. The Black Enneagram combines her love of the Enneagram, Black culture, entertainment, and Christianity with the purpose of increasing self-awareness, growth, and relational health, specifically in the Black community. She regularly engages issues of faith, justice, self-awareness, love, and unapologetic joy. I love the Black Enneagram because it is a safe haven for all people, regardless of racial identity, who want to grow in the kind of godly self-love that overflows into love for all. So the reason why I'm chatting with Dayo today is because she actually read through Awelita Faith and found connection points for the Enneagram energies with the characters I mention in my book. How cool is that? So if you're someone who's interested in Awalita Faith, whether you've read it or plan to read it, or if you're interested in the Enneagram, whether as an enthusiast or a beginner, I think you'll find our conversation a whole lot of fun. Besides the Enneagram, we talk about Dio's background, her culture, uh, her journey of faith, and how we can decolonize things like the Enneagram. And... If you head on over to Instagram today, you can find all nine types with the matching characters in Awelita Faith, as Dio has made beautiful graphics of each. In fact, her and I will also be continuing this conversation this Thursday, August 5th on IG Live. I so hope you enjoy it, friends. I hope you love this conversation. I hope you find yourself in the characters in Awelita Faith and also within the Enneagram. And welcome to The Protagonistas. So today on The Protagonistas, I am super, super excited um, because I am speaking to the face of the Black Enneagram, Dayo Ajanaku. And I am thrilled to have you, Dayo. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is an honor and a privilege. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a few things I want to talk to you about. Um, I think what I'm super, super excited about is the fact that you read Awalita Faith and you yes. did some incredible work with it. So we will talk about that. But first, I want our listeners to hear about you. I want, um, yeah, folks to get to know you because we obviously know your Instagram account and all the brilliance that you post, but I would love to know um, just the background information about how you became the Black Enneagram. But before, I want to know about your spiritual background. So tell Mm -hmm. us, where are you from? What did faith or spirituality look like for you growing up? And how has that developed throughout your life? Yeah, this is such a good question. So I grew up in a Christian household. Um, A lot of Nigerian children, when they come to the States, they kind of, you kind of get thrown into like, um, what do we call it? Prosperity. prosperity? Yeah. Okay. Prosperity gospel. <laughs> you kind of get thrown into prosperity gospel. And so that's kind of the church that I was in. Um, it wasn't very evangelical. And then when I became a Christian myself, when I was 16, um, I kind of like just swam in the water of evangelicalism, um, just naturally. That just, just made the most sense. Everyone else was doing it. So I'm like, yeah, let's just follow along right. about what, with everything that's been going on. And so I've been a Christian for six years now, seven years. So it hasn't been super long, but a lot has happened. <laughs> so it's been an interesting journey. Um, I think right now in my spirituality and my faith, I am in a, your book was really helpful in this because I'm, I'm in like that season of kind of taking myself, intentionally taking myself out of deconstruction, like not out of 
out of evangelicalism into deconstruction, figuring out like what makes sense for me, my relationship with God, because for the past seven, six to seven years, I've kind of been unhappy in my relationship with God and been like, this doesn't feel like it doesn't feel right. You know, it just feels off. Um, I think the Enneagram was a big help with that, realizing, oh, I can relate to God in a way that makes sense for me. I didn't know I had permission to do that. So, <laughs> so getting that permission and it's very crazy enough from something as simple as the Enneagram was like monumental with my relationship with God. I mean, like the idea of one of the ways is like um, once have like an inner critic. And so for me, I was able to distinguish the inner critic and the Holy Spirit. When before mm. it was like they were the same person. Wow. So now that like, yeah, now I'm able to separate them. I'm like, oh, I don't have to live in shame. Like God isn't calling me to shame. He's not calling me to bondage. Like he's actually calling me to freedom. And I can now distinguish like, okay, this is because this is calling me to freedom and wholeness. This is the Holy Spirit because this is calling me to like a, to live a, like a boxed in like bondage life. Um, it's the inner critic. So I, that distinction changed so much for me. So yeah, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's so good. Um, I love that you that you said that. And you, so you're a one, correct? I'm a one. Okay, strong. yeah. So no, no, that's good. So as a one, yeah, you mistake those two things, and I think that that's just yeah. common for a lot of people in general too, um, right. because we're taught to distrust ourselves, yes. you know, and <laughs> distrust our inner, you know, whatever. And so right. it's so hard to know, like, is this me? Am I being disobedient yeah. or? Right. You know, it's hard. Yeah. And, and there's a, I think a lot of mental health issues that stems in, mm. in evangelical communities, because, you know, which is why I think, you know, Enneagram is so helpful and your work is right. so helpful. So, um, so you, you said your family immigrated from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. did you grow up in Nigeria? Did you also emigrate or immigrate or um, your parents? So I was two, so I was born there, but I was two when I came here. So I'm pretty much like an Americanized Nigerian. Um, I know a lot of like the food and the culture. I can speak a little bit like to save my life, not in like a regular conversation, but like I have some culture, but I mean, I'm very much Americanized. Like if my grandparents, when my grandparents would come, they would notice like have this like culture shock of like, these are Nigerian kids, but they don't behave like typical Nigerian Mm -hmm. children. So that's, (laughs) that's a whole, whole thing on its own. But yeah, that's kind of Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I'm sure a lot of people experience similar um, sort of, yeah, that um, two culture, bicultural, you know, um, reality. Um, So, okay, so you said that you um, basically have just done the Christian thing for a long time, and you're now in the process, or you've been in the process of making it your own. And I love how you articulated that, because it is it is so personal, you know, Um, that's something also as a person of color, I'm learning that, um, you know, deconstruction and decolonizing for Mm -hmm. those of us who grow up in different sort of cultures, not white, you know, not dominant culture. Um, yeah. It just, it's also very different. You know, it yeah. feels different for us. Like we don't, mm-hmm. you know, deconstruct the same way that dominant culture might sure. only because of, because of the, the spirituality that comes with our culture, you know? Yeah. Um, and many of us, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we want to hold on to maybe from right. our culture, from our, you know, our people. Um, so yeah, it's complicated, but, but I think that you, you're right in that it's so personal. It's yeah. so personal. Um, right. So, yeah. yeah, I think that I was given this like one size fits all image of right. it. I'm like, oh, wait, that doesn't work for me anymore. So <laughs> do away with that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. It's true. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a one size fits all Christianity. And also yeah. a one size, it feels at times it's like a one size fits all deconstruction or a one size fits mm. all decolonizing. And, and, yeah. and no, all of it's so personal. So. Right, right. so yeah. Okay. So you talked a little bit about the Enneagram, but I would love for you to share a bit about your Enneagram journey. Um, how did you yeah. get into it? How were you introduced to it? And just, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so I actually got introduced to it in 2019. I was going through a situation shift with one of my friends who was trying to help me like make sense of all of that. And so right. like, the tools that she gave me um, was like the Enneagram, like try, just read up on it, learn about it. And so I did like a deep, deep, deep dive um, into like podcasts, um, articles, just like really uh, like consuming as much as I could. Um, and then a while like passed now and I started to like get involved, involved in the sense of like following, I started to get involved in like following um, Enneagram pages on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quickly noticed probably like a month in, like, where are the black people? Like, why are we, why is it so like, why is it all the, why is it only white women who are talking about mm-hmm. this amazing tool that has actually changed my life? Right. Um, and so I left, I left it alone. I was like, yeah, I'm not engaging with the Enneagram anymore. This is not for me. Clearly, this is not for me if I don't see my mm. people here. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so 
so I left it alone for a while. And then in 2020, in 2020, I was a um, senior in college. And one of our class, one of our classes, one of the classes I had to take because I was a business major. Sorry, I talk really fast. I'm realizing. <laughs> You're good. You speak my language. Don't worry. I talk really fast too. <laughs> but yeah, it's 2020. I was a senior and I'm taking a class called Creativity and innovation in business. In business, yes. And one of our projects um, that we had to do was to find like a project, a, a service, or product that was novel, innovative, creative has never been done before. And that's so hard to do because, as you know, Ecclesiastics, nothing is new under the sun. <laughs> so, I'm like, why is she asking us to do this impossible thing? This is hard. But then my mind immediately went to. Um, the Enneagram and how there's not a lot, especially with the fun side, because, you know, there's two sides of the Enneagram. There's like the very serious, you know, like contemplative, right. like really do the work, like therapist side of right. the Enneagram. There's like fun, like silly, like let's type TV shows and let's like, mm. you know, make memes. Like, so I was, I was able to like resonate a lot with the serious stuff, but all the fun stuff was like only for people who didn't look like me. And so I wanted to like, like bridge that gap between the fun side of the Enneagram and black culture. And so that was my project for that class. Um, at wow. the beginning, it was really just to get my A and leave. <laughs> and then I realized like, oh, this is actually helping people. And then even further along that, like, I don't know if you, obviously you remember this, but like in 2020, there was like this racial like tension, like all this stuff was going on. Um, and because of that, I don't know if you remember Issa Rae, one of like, when she was having like a, um, red carpet talk she said I'm rooting for everybody black like when they were she asked who she's who she wants to win I'm rooting for everyone black and I feel like that was the energy that people had in 2020 right. at least like the the heat of all of it was like who's black and how can I support them yeah and so yeah. that's kind of that's kind of how my page grew was me just, just I mean luck like you know what I mean like coming in and obviously luck in the sense of like people had to die right for people to actually take this stuff seriously right. um so it's like it sucks that that's like the history of my work is like I became what I am because of on the backs of unfortunately right. of you know the murders of Brianna and Ahmad and George like that sucks but right. at the same time I mean at that time it was it, people started to realize how white white people started to realize how white the Indian game had become um so yeah that's kind of how I got where I am today is just <laughs> seeing wow. a gap wanting to fill it wanting to lead and take initiative in that way so yeah yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, I love it. So your journey started because you were you wanted clarity on like a friendship, right? Right. Exactly. Which is so cool. Yeah. I think. Um, so I remember when I got into the Enneagram, I I think it was like you know the same thing. I, like my husband and I were just kind of like, oh, you know, let's kind of learn about how we each work, and we're just yeah. I'm an eight and he's a nine, oh, so yeah, yeah <laughs> we're very different. Um, with, but I think what was helpful was, um, learning about how female eights and male nines work really well together yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because female eights, um, this, and this was another thing. So I remember listening to a podcast, I think it was Nadia Boltz Weber. She's an eight mm. and she was saying, um, how, well, two things. One, she feels like she walks around with a middle finger to the world all the time. <laughs> like me too. <laughs> and then she said, and two, um, I think she was talking to Ian, uh, you know, what's his name? The, the Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the main people, whatever, um, that talks about it. And then she was saying, she was, I feel like I walk around with my middle finger to the world. And then two, um, I feel like I'm very misunderstood, you know, mm -hmm. just because I'm a woman and yeah. I, you know, so then he started saying that female eights are like, they struggle a lot because they're looked, uh, you know, they're looked at as, you know, whatever, when they're just right. confident or, you know, yeah. all of these things. So anyway, it was very helpful for me. And I just yeah. remember, um, and it sort of stemmed from the same thing, like just a relational, mm -hmm. like, how do you relate to, how do I relate to other people? How do I yeah. relate to my spouse? Right. Um, and then I remember listening to that podcast and just like weeping because mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm not, you know, I'm not broken, you know, right. uh, well, right. we all are, but you know, <laughs> I've, yeah. right. There are other people like me. So yeah. anyway, so that was really helpful. So I loved it that for you, it started in just wanting to relate to other people. I think yeah. that's a such a perfect tool for the Enneagram right. for our relationships. Agreed. Um, and then I also love that you started the Black Enneagram. So I was going to ask you this next, but you know, you kind of they're kind of both intertwined. Mm -hmm. um, that you started the Black Enneagram um, from like a business class, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, that's so wonderful. I right. think that um, you know. I, I'm, I'm super big on folks, particularly Christian folks who 
um, yeah, engage like our sort of interdisciplinary um, and yeah. how, you know, they think. And because a lot of Christians, I mean, myself included as a Christian, I, I'm speaking to the church or like I'm speaking to, you know, but I love that you're marrying business and culture, black culture and Christianity. And it's it's so fun. Um, Okay. So yeah, I also wanted to chat just about the idea of just white culture and the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Do you know, um, and this is just kind of off the top of my head that I just thought right now, like where the Enneagram really started, um, why it's so, cause I, for some reason, I don't think it started in white culture. No. Okay. So you want to yeah. give us a little bit of background of what, you know, <laughs> from the little that I do know, I know that like it came from the, the, the only history that we know is like, it came from someone in the middle East and then the middle, someone, then someone from South America, you know, was, was taught that information. And then all like the real, like flesh and bones of all of it was fleshed out with South American two South American men. Um, and then I guess some people from America went and got, you know, educated by them. I don't know. I forget because it's a long, like, complicated right. history. But I think some people came, like, they got taught by the two um, South American men and brought that to actually the Berkeley area. So this kind of Berkeley area is actually oh, yeah. where um, the American version of the Indian game is kind right. of coming out. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the only history that I know because it's like there's so many different, like, retellings of it that I'm like, I don't right. know what's true. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But I think I do also remember reading that, that it didn't obviously originate. Um, But that's so interesting. I feel like that's such a common narrative. I talk about that in my book, actually, about how so many things, um, you know, we we rip things for or by we, I just mean white dominant culture um, or Western dominant culture rips things from other cultures and then demonizes, you know, rips it, Christianizes it, and then demonizes the culture it comes from. And of course, we know that the Middle East, um, in many ways, is there's so many aspects of it that is demonized in Western culture and in um, dominant culture. I am an example that I use in my book, I don't know if you remember is like, um, essential oils, you know, (laughs) that started in the same sort of area in Egypt. And Mm. It's huge now uh, with white women, white Christian women. Uh, maybe not now. It's been huge already for a little bit. Um, I think the craze is, has died down a little bit, but it was a huge craze. And yeah. it literally comes from African spirituality. And then we pull it from African spirituality, Christianize right. it, and then demonize right. African yes. spirituality. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think I've been seeing. I've been seeing that even with the Enneagram, and this is like this. This is a fair like critique that people have of the Enneagram. Well, I don't know if it's fair or not, but people have been saying like, oh, because it comes from because the place that it comes from, you can't use it because it has like I guess uh, people think that it has a cultish <laughs> background. And I'm like, I don't know where you get that from. But even if it did have a cultish background, I think that because it's a tool. Um, mm-hmm. you can, you can use a tool as you wish, right? You can use it for good or for bad. So if you're using it for bad, then maybe stop. But if you're using right. it for good, like <laughs> and it's actually growing you right. closer to God, then I don't, I don't know. I don't see an issue with it. So yeah, yeah no, at all. I mean, it's the same thing with yoga, you know, um, True. it was the same sort of thing. It was like, oh, yoga comes out, you know, you're, you're yeah. worshiping the devil while you're stretching. <laughs> like, it's just the weirdest thing. I think people are kind of over that too. Cause it's just yeah. so silly. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And it's just a tool. And if there's, you know, the way that I think about it is that, you know, if we're called or whatever to be the best version of ourselves, the best neighbor, if we're called to love others well, if we're called to, you know, be members of society that are honoring God and honoring each other, then why wouldn't you use a tool that helps you know yourself, you know, and like you did, it helps you interact in relationships better. So, you know, as someone who knows, you know, more about yourself, you can be a better friend, right. uh, you can be a better neighbor and a better follower of Jesus. So exactly. I think it's a win-win so all around. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I also think um, going back to what we were saying about how things are co-opted from other cultures and then sort of rebranded in a Christian way. I think this is why your specific work mm-hmm. is so important and why it resonates with folks. I'm sure um, because you are in, in, in a sense, decolonizing that and you are reclaiming that and you are um, yeah, just doing so many fun. I love that you you do the fun aspect yes. of it. <laughs> so many fun, but important and beautiful things. So yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. Super <laughs> exciting. So 
Um, okay, so I would love to chat a little bit about Abuelita Faith and the yeah. Enneagram because this was so sorry. I mentioned this earlier to you, um, but you did like a deep dive into <laughs> my book and into the different, um, you call them Enneagram energies and mm-hmm. the biblical women or Abuelita theologians. Mm-hmm. And I was so like blown away and in awe at your brilliance and um, just how you broke all this down and, and you know, uh, spoke about characters in the book. So if yeah. you want to kind of go through and give us yeah. like, I, you know, I, I know it might take, it could take forever if we sit here and do it, <laughs> but if you want to give just a quick, um, yeah. yeah, overview or a quick summary of, of the different numbers and the different characters that you saw. And I'd love to just have a chat with you about that. Yeah. Well, yes, I did do deep dive. I usually do deep dives about everything. So, yes. I love it. I, I want to preface and say like, one, I'm probably going to pronounce things wrong because I'm oh, not. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So please correct me if I'm wrong, if I say something wrong. And also all of the subjective. So like you said before, I'm not necessarily typing them or typing the person I'm more of like matching like oh this is the energy that the type gives off and this is the person who I feel like matches that the most um so yeah that's good to know uh, thanks <laughs> right and I think also the goal isn't necessarily to say oh I'm like mama teller like that's not the goal the goal is to say how can I use their stories to like as a mirror to my own life in an effort to like find like points of connection that can actually you know, move you towards action, right? And yeah. in your unique way that you, you know, pursue justice and pursue peace in your life. Um, so yeah, these are mirrors. They're not like, <laughs> yeah. there's no hard and fast rule here. Um, so yeah, this is imperfect. So I tried to preface that because I don't want <laughs> <laughs> No, you yeah. are good. You got it. <laughs> All right. So the type one, if you do not know, I'll explain a little bit about what the, who the type one is. Um, the type one, by um, using the description that the narrative Enneagram uses, um, they have an emphasis on personal integrity and control. <laughs> they work really hard at being right all the time. Um, they're known for their honesty, dependability, and common sense. They have really high standards. Um, they're idealistic, and they put a great effort into put it into improving the world around them. Um, and so that the, one of the themes that I kept seeing in your book was the theme of right action. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what is the right thing to do in the situation, even if it doesn't benefit you? And I feel like ones are so good at that. They're so mm-hmm. good at, tell, at being able to see what the right action is. And the woman who I, the Abuelita, who I felt like was mm-hmm. the embodiment of this was um, Cesar Chavez's grandmother, uh, Mama mm-hmm. Tella. Um, I don't know if you want me to give a history of like who she is, because people may not know who she is. Um, but she is the grandmother of Cesar Chavez. Uh, Cesar Chavez is a Mexican-American civil rights leader, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so Chavez was heavily influenced by her. Um, he wasn't able to like att- attend catechisms. Is that what that's called? Yeah, like Catholic class. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. So he wasn't allowed, He wasn't uh, able to attend those. But his grandmother wanted him to do communion. But you can't do communion unless you know the catechisms. And so uh, the Mamatella, knowing that this was the requirement, um, she still requested it from the priest. Um, he refused to like do it until he saw that Chavez and his sister actually knew the catechism like back the back of their hand. Right. And because they had, they had learned it from Mamatella, and they didn't have like formal training, and she didn't have formal training. Right. I, honestly, all these stories are gonna blow your mind. Like the book is full of people like this woman. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Mama Tilla is like her high standards, her commitment to excellence, um, her effort to pass on integrity and right action to those coming after her is that was what I think makes her like an unsung Abuelita theologian. Mm-hmm. Um, her ability to like lean into her type oneness um, and her detail orientation, her precision, like her her grandkids knew, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, <laughs> yeah. Like there were words they just knew because she was such a great teacher. Um, I think a lot of ones can resonate with that of like, if I teach you something, you're going to know it because I'm going right. to teach you what you need to know so yeah that is the, that's so the, good that um actually thinking knowing now that you're one and looking mm-hmm. at the google doc that you sent me about <laughs> this I'm like yes this makes perfect sense that's so good yes. <laughs> and I love that um you know ones are just committed to doing the right thing that's something that I thought so much throughout my book is that yeah. um so many of these women like they're gonna do the deeply right thing and that doesn't matter what it takes in order to right. do the deeply right thing you know I think exactly. of so many women who and and it's weird it's complicated because yeah. there may be 
you know, there's there may be some sort of weird deceit, you know, like there may be so like, like, for example, and what I mean by that, I'll explain mm-hmm. like Shipper and Pua, like they lie to Pharaoh <laughs> and tell Pharaoh, like, no, 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 you know, this is, but they're really doing the deeply right thing. And that's saving lives, right? Yes. It's not about what Pharaoh, you know, it doesn't. So, I mean, I don't know if that's like an Enneagram one thing, but that's mm-hmm. just something that I was sort of reflecting on that doing yeah. the right thing. That's the main and only thing that matters. And yeah. that's so important. And we need so many of those people to take those risks, right? Yeah. And to just like, yeah, to, to do deep dives into doing the deeply right thing. So yeah. I love so that good. so much. I love that you <laughs> uh, pointed out Mama Tela because, um, yes, I think so many of our, our spiritual abuelitas, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're they're badass that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So the two, um, the theme that I kept on thinking in your book as well was like the theme of love and the way that you know Abelitas love their people and love their communities. Um, and so for the two, the core you know desires and the the, the characteristics of the two, as said by the narrative and again, um, is that they're really good at making connections and empathizing with the needs and feelings of other people. Mm-hmm. That's a gift that they specifically have. They're really good at being cheerleaders and supporting other people and bringing out other people's like biggest potential. Um, love is their highest ideal. They're selfless. They give to other people. Um, and just they just love to give. They, they mm-hmm. want to give as much as they can. They're involved. They're socially aware, and they're typically extroverted. But you know, you can be extroverted, introverted too, and still be a two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the abuelita that I chose for this one is actually your own abuelita. Um, in chapter six, you shared about how she would host domino nights, um, and I think that this is like random, but like the point of connection I made with Black culture was like, I feel like domino night <laughs> is the equivalent of like spades night. In the oh world. yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how to play, play space, but I feel like a lot of black, black people would resonate with that chapter because you share like that whole concept of like, we come together, we hang out, we eat food, you know, we play a game and we have fun. Like, and the, this, the seriousness in which people take domino and yes. dominoes in space. <laughs> like I could, I could just see that connection. So I actually yes. talk about how, um, in, in a weird way, it's, it's almost like trauma, you know, mm-hmm. kind of binds our communities together. And it's like, this is our outlet. This is, you know, and right. we take it really seriously because yeah. life is freaking hard outside yeah. of this. Right. right. Um, so yeah, for, I, I can only imagine, you know, since you made that connection with black culture, you know, mm-hmm. it might be similar, right? Like, like life is hard out there. And, you know, this is where we where our community, where we just, we can just be right. Um, and yeah. I, and I felt that way. And I do feel that way about dominoes in the Cuban community. Um, yeah. or just many Latinos, because I know more than just Cubans play dominoes, but, right. um, but yeah, so it's like this, this space where, yeah, yeah. we can just be so anyway, yeah. sorry, go ahead. I'm just going to interrupt you and <laughs> add in my, <laughs> yes. And y'all believe that she made space for people to just be right. You, you said, and you describe it in the book, you say, um, the front door was constantly swinging open with friends and family gathering together for un juego yeah a very game. good oh, a game good. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh cafecito I believe uh-huh. that's it. or dinner or sometimes all three and I was like oh that's so I can see how because also twos are known to be like amazing hosts um their name their like catchphrase in the Enneagram is like the hosts right in addition to being the helper they're also the host and twos are very inclusive they're welcoming they enjoy sharing their space and time with people that they love and they like to do it in small but very significant ways which I really really see with Abelita like that may seem like a, oh like people are just coming to my house but no like for you yeah. that has such a big impact on you um right so yeah I love uh, it yeah yeah <laughs> yes I love it so much um and yeah I mean there is something so deep and powerful and yeah about being a host and I, I talk about that too as far as like right. you know a decolonized view you yes. know again, dominant culture always wants to be the host, you know, always wants right. to host, but there's something so, um, yeah, profound about letting yourself be a guest, um, yes. in, in a host's home, you know? Right. Um, right. and so, yeah, looking at this in a sort of decolonized way, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. black culture or whether it's, you know, Cuban culture or whatever it is, it's, you know, having that mindset where, you know, 
dominant culture can come and be hosts at our tables or even yeah. me I consider myself obviously someone with varying levels of privilege so where yeah. can I be a guest and mm. someone else's you know how can I um, allow twos to flourish in that way or that two energy right. to flourish in someone else um, so anyway that's so beautiful I love that you connected yeah. that with my abuela that's special. yeah I love, that. I love that you bring that up because I think the growth point for twos is that is learning to stop being the host, right? Oh. And to receive love, right? To receive Good. the hosting. So that's perfect that you bring that up. It's great. Right, right. <laughs> okay, now for the three. This one was a little bit difficult, um, but <laughs> the theme that I brought up for this one was like holy ambition mm. um, and like wanting to achieve for God or like, you know, have and, and not, um, yeah, not for the self and not like for the ego or for the status, but like, yeah, I have all this, like you said, we have all this privilege, but how can I use that for good? Mm-hmm. Um, and the woman who I thought about for, uh, yeah, I believe that theologian I thought about for this was Joanna in the Bible. I believe she's a biblical mm-hmm. character. Um, she's the, oh, so first of all, I want to describe the threes. So the threes, um, their Enneagram, you know, description is that they channel their emotional en- energy into getting things done. Um, they love to take initiative. They're hard workers. They love goal setting and accomplishing mm-hmm. those goals. They're very, uh, they're highly adaptive. Um, they love to stay active, love to stay on the go. You know, they don't like to just like vacation is hard for threes. <laughs> Doing nothing is hard for threes. They find it very hard to slow down and to stop. Um, and they're very successful people. Um, so as Joanna, Joanna was mm-hmm. the wife. Hopefully I'm saying I'm remembering this correctly. She's the wife of Herod Stewart, mm-hmm. I believe. So, yeah. so she, but Joanna was privileged in that she traveled with Jesus um, and she also supported him financially out of her own resources. Um, and then you say that she did that at a time when women were not supposed to fraternize with men that they were not related to, much less like travel with them. So I was like, oh, right. this is, I don't know that detail, right? Like, yeah, um, yeah. My upbringing didn't, didn't focus on women, like women, how women are interacting with the scripture, right. but like you brought out that and I was like, this is great. <laughs> um, that was awesome. I do love that. Um, yeah, that connection to three, that does make sense that yeah. Joanna, I mean, think about it, a woman with means, clearly successful. Yeah, right. She's, you know, doing things that other people don't typically do. She's yeah. a leader, you know, she's like a boss and she's paying for Jesus's ministry. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. I think she lives, she lives beyond the box that sometimes threes can find themselves in. Like she's, she has, she has this ability to disconnect her worth and her value as like, oh, I'm Herod Stewart. I mean, I'm Herod's, Herod Stewart's wife. Right. That gives me status and privilege. And instead, and instead, you know, she detaches from that and instead attaches it to like the cause of Christ. Mm. And that's where her her value is. And that's where she puts her, because you know, people say like where your treasure is, um, there your heart is also. And you can really see that in her life. Her wow. treasure is through Christ. Um, so yeah, I just thought that that was really cool. So connection good. Yeah, so good. <laughs> Okay, now for the four, um, the, th- the theme that I connected with your book for the four was creativity. Um, <clears throat> the Enneagram in- 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 describes fours as being people who seek meaning and depth in their relationships. Um, they have like, a, they're constantly searching for like, personal creativity and like uniqueness. Um, most fours are artists, um, and they do really, really great at, you know, dance, music, poetry, anything that's like artistic and creative. They really love that, but it's really, really important for them to feel or be authentic to who they are. They're very compassionate people, idealistic people, and they have a great emotional depth to themselves. Mm-hmm. And so the people that I chose, or yeah, I was a group of theologians, I believe the theologians for this one, and I don't know how to pronounce this word, but you, you, you define it by saying women who create artwork that typically is embroidered on the back of sackcloth. So can oh. you pronounce that? Yes. Yeah. Arpilleristas. Yes, Ar- it's a hard word. Arpilleristas. <laughs> Ar- Ar- they're women. They're the ones that um, sew, right, on uh, yes. patterns. Yes. On, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So Arpilleristas, they are the ones who I chose for the four. No, it was really good. That was really sorry. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, do you talk about their ability to create worlds out of nothing, beauty from scraps? Um, you also shared how your Abuelita also would spend hours sketching and then bringing those sketches to life. Um, and just because fours are seen as very creative people, um, when you said that the art of making or creating has always been more than just a physical craft, but it has several spiritual purposes as well, I immediately thought of the four mm-hmm. and was like, oh, like that natural, of course, fours have a natural ability to see beauty in everything. Yeah. Um, so yes, that is kind of, you know, the idea. I have a lot more that I can flesh out with the four because this was the most fun to like play with. Oh, um, yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, my, like the, you know, summary of what right. I got for the four. 
Yeah. No, that's so good. I'll give a little bit of a background on the Arpilleristas yes, so folks know, um, you know, what, what you're talking about. But yeah, so I just share about um, in Chile, there was a group of women who um, it was just in the midst of the oppressive um, government when a lot of people were disappearing and the government was it was a right wing dictatorship backed by the U.S. I say that so much in my book. I'm like, right-wing dictator backed by the U.S. Right. Um, yeah, and, and you know, just kind of wreaking havoc on the people. People, you know, um, revolutionaries and young um, scholars or, or not scholars, I guess, young university students and just mm. people were being kidnapped and taken. Yeah. And so these arpilleristas, these women, they were, you know, um, they used to sew or they sewed and they um, stitched and sewed. Yeah. They decided that they were going to use their craft and their creativity and their art um, to protest, you know, what yes. was going on. And so they would stitch these protest signs um, and kind of hang them up in different places. And they even started using the hair of the of the disappeared. Um, yeah, to to just protest what the government yeah. was doing. So I, I just love that, that you connected that to the four. You know, it's yeah. funny. I, um, as an eight, right, I'm very, I feel very different from fours. <laughs> I'm not very, um, I'm, I'm passionate, but I'm not right. someone who is very deeply emotional. I, I'm getting better. <laughs> I'm becoming more <laughs> tuned to my emotions in that way. But it's funny that I have a lot of four friends and I have a yeah. lot of deep connections with fours. And I've just so learned to appreciate um, right. their depth. You know, I yes. one of my good friends in L.A., um, we, we were laughing once because she was talking about how she cries like every single day. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I haven't cried in years. You know, <laughs> and, then, and I think I heard it was something I think it was between a four and a nine. And it said, what the four feels in one day, the nine feels in like a month, you know, because <laughs> something like that. So yeah. we were just laughing at that, like, wow, I can't imagine yeah. what it's like to be you, you know, right. Um, right. but I really bonded with fours, I think, because that I, I almost like want to draw that out of myself. And yes. so, yeah, I really connect with yeah. them. So anyway, I love that connection that you made with um, yeah. the yeah, and I appreciate, I feel like I, a lot of times sports are misunderstood as like, oh, they're crybabies. <laughs> but I think that, I love the way you described it, because it was like, no, like, they have an emotional depth that a lot of us cannot achieve, right? right? Like, they have a yeah. gift. This is actually a gift oh, and yeah. not like a, <laughs> not a bad thing, but a very, very good and healthy thing that we can learn from. I'm a body type as well. I'm a one. So I don't have that emotional right. depth either. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. <laughs> okay, for the five, um, the theme I got from, I believe that faith, for the five was um, wisdom. You've mentioned mm -hmm. wisdom so many times. And I'm just like, yes, like the wisdom that our, that the Abilene theologians bring to the world is like profound. Um, so the, to describe what the five is, um, so narrative Enneagram describes them as being people who are focused on intellectual understanding and accumulating knowledge. Um, they're often scholars, you know, mm -hmm. experts in their field. Um, they really, really care about having personal autonomy um, they're perceptive and they're very self-reliant independent people. Um, so the person who I chose for this one was probably one of my favorite people on this, um, <laughs> in this book was, I probably going to pronounce the name wrong. So please forgive me, but Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz. Yeah, got it. Okay. <laughs> and you described her as someone who used her wisdom to challenge the church's colonialist and patriarch, patriarch, Cool. <laughs> ideologies um, and she did so through her theological writings her poems her plays and her worship hymns um, you share how her commitment to learning was such you shared a story how when she was young she wanted her mom to dress her up as a boy so that she can retain or um, uh, achieve higher learning and then right. when that didn't work out for herself she chose to teach herself like she has like, such a commitment to learning and to like academics that like she would you know kind of disown a part of who she was right. a female and like you know yeah. take on <laughs> take on something else um and so when and then you also share how like when she was given the chance to be married you know she chose to be a nun and she devoted her life to study I'm like this woman amazing like yeah. so amazing um and yeah so the Hatcher story progresses you taught you share how she challenges a Jesuit um, theologian who requested that her study be forbidden because she like, I think I forgot what she had done to incite this, but he wanted her to stop learning because mm -hmm. obviously like, as you know, knowledge is power. Um, right. And her response was to write a series of essays defending her right to study scripture. And then she claims that her love of learning came from God. Like Ooh. God gave me the gift. <laughs> I was like, girl, say it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You also share how like she fought mightily with the pen 
and that was her 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 mode of um of uh like protest that was how she protested was with the pen mm-hmm. um and i really feel like she she em- she embodies that wisdom that you share um her her life is so connected to the energy of the five like i can so oh, yeah. see that and she may not be a five right but i can right. so see how a five can be like i want to be you like you are <laughs> a great like she would be a great role model for a five who's looking to be more like healthy um and yeah i think that's, that's so kind good. of the things i came for yeah yeah that's so 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 good um because it's true like And I think I love that you pointed that out specifically um, because so much of my book is, is more about like embodied. And and so I'm kind of, you know, I focus on art or creativity or dance or all these things. Um, But I also have like a deep love for the Academy and I have a deep love for study and, and for things like that. And I think we need all of it. Right. And so I love that. Um, Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, so she, yeah, like she just went all in and she was an academic and she was a scholar and she was like, no, right. this is what I'm called to do. This is what I love and I'm going right. to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And we need all of them. We need the yeah. artists, the creatives, the fours and the fives. And, you know, um, and that's something also I do love about the Enneagram is that, you know, in order for this, for our society to function, you know, mm-hmm. we need everybody to be yeah. the fullness of who they are. Right, right. Um, yeah. And I just love, I love that connection. And I love her too. She's sort of yeah. like my role model too. <laughs> <laughs> She's amazing. Yeah. All right. So the six, um, the six I gave, the theme I connected the six to was courage. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had mentioned um, the Exodus midwives. So we're going to be yeah. talking about them for this one. Sixes yeah. and ones often mistake each other for themselves sometimes. Oh, really? Often look alike. So it makes sense she brought that up. That's so funny. Um, but yeah. So the way that the sixes are described are they that they they are people who use their perception and intelligence to understand the world and figure out whether people are either friendly or hostile. Mm. They're focused on guarding the safety of the group, the, the group, the project, or the family. Um, they're really, really good at anticipating problems. They're great troubleshooters. They're great at solutions. Um, and they kind of teeter-totter between like being a skeptic and being and like having the certainty. Right. Um, and then you can also see the hard between being like a rebel and like a believer. Like either they like love the system or they hate the system. <laughs> either or, or it could be both. Um, so yeah, the people who I chose or the group of uh, I believe theolo- Abuelita theologians that I chose for this was the Exodus midwives. And as you said, like they were instructed to murder all of the male babies, you know, mm-hmm. by Pharaoh. And um, and I want to add this as well. But you mentioned how like. You mentioned something in the book about how, like, the fact that Pharaoh wanted to, like, kill only the males and, like, right. discounted, <laughs> discounted the fact that, well, women are powerful, too. Like, why, why not? Yep. You know, like, like, he just, like, completely, like, was not able to see, like, the power of a woman. I was like, that was a good point. And honestly, if, if people just read the book to read that point, they would get so much from it. Because, like, it was so, I was like, whoa, I never thought about this. Like, yeah. you brought to life things that I never really had thought about before. Um so you, yeah, you share how the like embodied like wisdom of the um, midwives and the Exodus story how they come together um, with their faith in God to bring forth new life into the world. That is what that's their job as midwives to bring forth new life. Um, and because they feared God, they did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. Um, they made the courageous and audacious decision to defy evil authority. That's what she said. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> that's, that's the struggle for the six is like, because I mean, there's so much like indecisiveness. And like, for them, it was like, oh, this is clear, right? Like, mm. the, the, the decision not to obey to, you know, it's not to obey someone who's acting us to do something so heinous and terrible is an act of courage. Mm. Um, and not only that, you know, but when they were questioned, you know, about their decision, they were so shrewd and smart in their response. They weren't like, right. well, I'm not gonna do that. God told me, you know, they, they yeah. said, they used language and they used things that would help that would help Pharaoh like not, you know, come against them. <laughs> Right, right, right. So they were very, I just, I imagine like a smirk growing on their faces when they walked away from him, like, <laughs> he thinks that we're on his side, <laughs> but we're not. I just thought it was amazing. Oh, that's so good. So that's yeah, so I, I feel good. like, yeah, that civil disobedience is huge. Yeah. I love that. yeah. Oh, that's so good. I love that. Um, I... <laughs> So another one of my, the numbers that I'm closest to literally like two of my best friends, my sister, they're all sixes. And I feel like I just really vibe with sixes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but, but anyway, yeah. And I feel like sixes often get a bad rap, right? Like they're just like, they have anxiety, you know, they're anxious or riddled with this. Um, So I just love, and I don't, I mean, obviously there's, um, 
strengths and weaknesses in every number. Yeah, of course. Um, but I love that you chose courage as yeah. you know the thing for sixes because I would I feel like knowing the sixes that are in my life, they probably mm-hmm. wouldn't think of themselves as courageous mm-hmm. in many ways. And so right. I think that's very empowering because I yeah. agree. I think um there is so much courage. It takes so much courage to to yeah be, you know, <laughs> be the, of the fullness of that in the world. Yeah, um, right. And I do love that the midwives, um, that you chose them for that. And that you sort of gave me that imagery of them smirking as they yeah. walked away, <laughs> because I can totally see that. Um, yeah. yeah, they were, they just played Pharaoh like yes. a fiddle. And I yeah. love that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, so the seven, the seven are fun friends. <laughs> so that's that's kind of their stereotype. It's like they're all so fun and they have that they're carefree and happy all the time. But for them, the theme I chose for the sevens was agency and freedom. Um, and then the narrative Enneagram describes sevens um, by saying that they're forward thinkers, they're movers. Um, they bring like a very optimistic and positive attitude to everything that they do. Um, they have many interests on different mm-hmm. subjects, like to have a variety. Um, they prefer to keep their options open. Um, they're great communicators um, because their attention shifts so fast. Sometimes it can be a challenge for them to like focus like in depth and like stay the course and like work relationships, like their own selves, like dealing with their own pain. Um, and the person who I chose for this one is Celia Cruz. Hope I said Ooh, her name right. Yeah, Celia Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> I chose Celia Cruz. Um, she is an Afro-Cuban singer, I believe, and dancer. She did salsa. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, say that yeah. again. Oh, she was Afro-Cuban singer and dancer? Yeah. Okay, yes. Um, and so you, you give a little bit of, a little bit of backstory in the book about how like, her father wanted her to stop singing so she could be a teacher. And she was like, no, <laughs> I'm yes. going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy, you know, being a singer and a dancer. And she, you know, rose to international fame um, as, the, as a Black Latin, Latina uh, singer, um, despite the racism and sexism that was, um, you know, against her. And so one thing that I love that I connected with the seven was when you said that she wove together elements of the classic Afro-Cuban, and I'm going to say this wrong, but Son Montuno? Montuno, uh-huh. Yes. So she put that together alongside, um, this is where I'm going to mess up really bad, the elements of, <laughs> of Guagancho? Guagancho? Yeah, yeah, that's a hard one. Guagancho. Yeah. Uh, now Guagancho. I'm like second guessing exactly how to say that word. <laughs> You're good. I know what you mean. <laughs> And then she also in, in, um, incorporated undertones of rumba, mambo, cha-cha, gurancha, uh-huh. and bolero. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, and she also, in, in, you know, additionally, after all those things, she also included like the folklore, folkloric sensibilities of the West African diaspora. Like she wanted to like do everything, right? Yeah. Like she was like, I'm, I'm just going to do salsa. No, 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 I'm going to do all of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see that as being like a soul seven thing. Like, you know, they want to have variety. They want to incorporate all their interests. They don't want to feel pigeonholed into like one style of anything. Um, and you share how um, in her music, she tells, she uses her music to tell her story of like pain and her own unique experiences, which is something that seven sometimes struggle with, like being still and experiencing their pain. So I love mm-hmm. that she was able to move out of that. I don't know, I'm not, not sure if she was seven or not, but like that energy of like, yeah, I want to have fun. I want all of it. But like, there's hard yeah. stuff going on. We have to admit there's hard stuff going on. Um, I love the quote in the book where you said that Cruz made these declarations not just with her words and with sounds, but by movements of her Black body, free and gyrating on stage, inviting others to join along in the ways her body was designed by the divine. And I feel like that quote really encompasses the desire of the seven to live freely, like uniquely in the way that God has created you to be. Um, so yeah, I just feel like she Ooh. is the person. <laughs> Wow, that was so good. I think that was like, this was like my favorite connection that you made. That's so, so, so good. Um, yeah, I I honestly grew up listening to a lot of Celia Cruz. And um, it's two of like her most famous sayings. Um, one was azúcar, which is sugar. And she would just kind of always yell like azúcar, you know, that was like her <laughs> thing. And also she has a song um, that one of the main like refrains is La Vida es un Carnaval. So life is a carnival. And so like yes. that just sort of embodies a lot of what you're yes. saying. Like she's just, um, yeah, like life is a party. Life is a yes. carnival. But like she went through so much hardship as a black woman, as a oh. black Latina in a very male dominated industry. And as someone who escaped, you know, the revolution or escaped during the revolution um, and she wasn't even allowed to go back to Cuba because she spoke so um, openly about her views or whatever. 
Um, so yeah, that's such a good, good, good connection because she is so much fun, but she's so real yeah. and she's so right. raw. Right. Yeah. And so I think that that yeah. is um, something so special about yeah. sevens for sure. Yeah. Yes, so I definitely agree. Okay. The eight. We are almost done. I know this has been, <laughs> this has been long. <laughs> We're almost done. Um, but one of the main, 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 main things that you continue to bring up that I love is the theme of strength. And for the eight, that is really important. I hope I do this justice because I know you're an eight. So I hope I don't do this wrong. <laughs> don't worry. But the desires of an eight, as you know, described by the narrative Enneagram, is that they love to take charge of situations and step into leadership roles, not afraid of leadership. Um, they like to do everything their way. <laughs> and they place a high priority on fairness and justice. Um, they love, like they, they, they advocate for the underdog and they're very much like, yeah, who is, who is being, like who, they, they care a lot about the vulnerable. Who is being taken advantage of and how can I help them? Um, if they feel wrong, they will fight back with, <laughs> with all the power that they have. They are enthusiastic people. They're generous. And they're also super powerful people. So the woman that I chose as the Abuelita theologian of the eight was Re. I'm going to say her name wrong. Rigoberta. Oh, mm-hmm. Rigoberta yeah. Menchu. Yes. Rigoberta Menchu. Um, and I, she was a quiche Mayan organizer and activist who stood, stood against the Guatemalan government. Um, and then for, for her, from reading scripture, she learned that it was good and right to defend her people against oppression. Like she learned that from scripture. You know, her yeah. scripture reading from the point of view of her like social location encouraged themes of resistance, justice, and liberation. And this is a viewpoint that people who with privilege may not see, right? And right. You, you, you mentioned that a lot of times that because people aren't, people in different social locations can see different things in scripture. We need all of us, right? Mm-hmm. To read scripture together rather than just like one. Um, and right. then you also talk about how like she was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize for her work. Like I could see an A. <laughs> an a. <laughs> like, it's like, yo, like you deserve this. You did the work. Here you go. <laughs> So yeah, the eighth challenge, you know, according to, that, to narrative Enneagram, again, is to near, to harness, you know, their, their challenger energy in a productive way by integrating self-assertion with vulnerability. So the power and, you know, the softness, you know, both of it together. I mean, I believe, I believe that Menchu is a good example of that. Um, the excerpt that you included in the section about her gave me insight into her, like, thought process and how, like, that's further on to good work. That she used scripture um, to encourage her, right, to become... Yeah this person who like fights for justice, no matter what. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So I've been talking so much about Menchu lately, actually. Mm-hmm. So I'm so happy that you, I have like a, I feel now that I have a personal connection to yes. her because <laughs> you, you gave her the energy, uh, the energy of an Enneagram eight, but, or I guess connected the energy of an Enneagram yes, eight yes. to her. Um, but yeah, I've been talking so much about her because, you know, if you follow my work in any way, you know, that I love the Bible. Like I'm very yes. committed to scripture and, um, not just, uh, well, I'm committed to scripture, particularly because it's been used and abused in many ways. Right. And, you know, it's been used by oppressors to oppress and, mm-hmm. you know, as a weapon in dominant culture. Um, but that's not the only way it's been used, right? Like the Bible has right. been used by the oppressed and by the colonized to mm-hmm. liberate. And yeah. Rigoberta Menchu is just such a fascinating character. Yeah. Um, and she's a complicated character because I love that she, like, she literally led her people in self-defense because mm-hmm. she read the story of David and Goliath. And she said, wait a minute, we're the Davids. Oh. So, <laughs> you know, and she's like, the government are the Goliaths. And David yeah. took up arms against Goliath. So therefore, I'm going to organize my people to take up arms against, you know, which is Obviously, there's so many ethical questions right. <laughs> about that, but I just think it's just so fascinating how yeah. the Bible was a catalyst for her yes. for self-defense. The Bible was yeah. a catalyst for her to organize her community, um, right. yeah, to fight back against the colonizers and, and fight back against the oppressors. Um, so yeah, so she's just a, a fascinating character, and I love, love, love your connection with the eight because I do. I I have like I feel very connected to think of it. And she was like, maybe she's an eight. I don't know, but I do love the connection you made. So that's so good, so good. Yeah, definitely, I agree. Okay, we have reached the end <laughs> with the beautiful, amazing nines. Um, the nine, My the favorite. theme that I brought, right? <laughs> the people who I, the theme that I brought up for the uh, nines was passive resistance, which is a word that I took from the book that you used. I'm like, this is so good for the nine. <laughs> so the way that the Native Enneagram describes nine is that they say that they have a, they typically have a problem with priorities. 
they find it difficult to change direction or shift attention to like what's most important. So you just kind of like, if someone asks them to do something, they're going to do it. Instead of saying, hmm, can I do this? No, who's going to do it? <laughs> um, they can often be self-forgetting. Um, sometimes they can forget their own agenda and they can, I think, you know, they can come to the end of their day and be like, did I do anything that I actually needed to do? Or was I just serving other people the whole time? <laughs> um, they're really good at seeing all points of views. Um, so it's, sometimes it's difficult for them because of that to make like personal decisions. That's why people joke around, like, if you ever ask a nine where to go out to eat, just don't do it because you will be there for hours. <laughs> yeah, they're great mediators and great peacemakers. They see harmony in their environment. They have a strong sense of gut level knowing they're in the body type as well so their, their body tells them what's right and what's wrong mm. um but they can also be out of out of touch with their bodies in other ways you know if they have a different subtype so yeah so the point of connection that i made for the nines with abuelita faith was joanne robinson mm. um joanne robinson led the women's political council and she um made the both the montgomery bus boycott one of the pri top priorities for the council um after she was personally attacked verbally much for sitting um like I think it was like five rows from the front of the bus yeah. and that wasn't allowed so after that incident she decided no, we're gonna lead a boycott and it encouraged like 50,000 people walked off of city buses in an effort to like bring changes to that to the, the terrible conditions that you know she would that they were enduring um and that lasted for 13 months the boycott lasted for 13 months um and their pro protest was a success and the federal court you know or, um, ordered bus integration um but the reason why I gave her the nine is because I felt like that nonviolent but persistent approach mm. that she had, and she was like able to like bring everyone together, mm. right? And like that, like that, that ability to see all points of views, and because you're able to do that, you can, you can, you know, bring like harmony amongst a big diverse group of people. Um, so it was just, it was just so good and so helpful. I think that nines can learn from her, um, and how and they, they, they can learn how to have their experiences, move them into action. Mm. <clears throat> I feel like she is like on the healthier side where she was like, Oh, this happened to me. I'm not going to just let it go and right, be like, whatever, right. I'll be on the bus tomorrow, you know, mm. and just, I'll just, I'll sit, the, I'll sit on the right side of the bus. I'm on the right, you know, area right. of the bus next time. But she's like, no, this isn't fair. This isn't good. And it spurred her into action. Um, in a way that was unique for her. Like she didn't need to go fight, you know, take right. up arms. Like she was like, this is gonna, this is gonna work, you know? And I just okay. love that. I love that. I think that minds can like learn to use their strength as peacemakers to like bridge the gap between all sides. And it's a gift that they have um, in their fight, in the fight against like racial injustice, oppression, just like all of it. So. Right. Wow. Yes. That's so good. <laughs> That's such a good connection. I love that you contrasted that with uh, eights or with Rigoberta Menchu. And you kind of pointed like, they both made effective change. They just yeah. did it completely differently. And I think right. that that's so important. Mm -hmm. um, and I love, love, love Joanne Robinson because mm -hmm. um, it was literally the Montgomery bus boycott that was like the catalyst to the civil rights movement. And we like, a lot of people don't really know that. Like we obviously, when we think of the civil rights movement, we think of MLK Jr. And of course we right. should, because you right. know, it's MLK Jr. But <laughs> like it was Joanne Robinson and her yeah. uh, primarily a group of women who started this boycott it lasted 13 months as you mentioned yeah. and it was like what really pushed and and really um you know had the civil rights movement sort of explode um right. it was started by women and it was started by you know black women and yes. it was started by you know enneagram nine energy so <laughs> <laughs> i love that so much yes oh yes. that's such a like incredible connection um and i think that's the the you know the strength of what you're talking about is how everyone, all of these women, you know, they made change in their communities and they made change in their lives and they made change um, for the greater, you know, good and for, you know, for their faith, a lot of, yeah. in a lot of ways um, yeah. as a response to their faith. And it was all in very different ways, very, very different. different ways. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's why we need, all people yeah. and all right. types and all energies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That was the goal. Like, yeah, you don't, your, your form of protest or your form of resistance doesn't have to look like someone else's word to be correct. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So good. <laughs> so, so good. Oh. Well, thank you so much, Dio. You are so brilliant and so <laughs> much fun um, because this is such a fun, you know, exercise and such a, um, important one too. Um, mm -hmm. And I love just the important decolonizing work that you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I love that people have resonated and responded yeah. and that folks are, you know, following you and folks are yeah, sharing your work because I think it's so important. 
Um, and I was just so honored that you um, spent so much wonderful time in Abuelita Faith. It's just so beautiful and encouraging. And I'm just so thankful for it. No, thank you for writing this book. Because I feel like it's so needed. Like no matter like the background that people have. Because I mean, I think I was telling you before how I don't have Abuelita theologians in my life personally. So like living through these women, I was like, oh, this is it. Like this is what I was, I've been looking for. For a long time so thank you no thank you oh, no that that really means a lot because I I know I you know I've spoken to some folks and they you know not everyone has um yeah. relationship with their grandmothers and yeah. you know there was this one woman who she actually had a very negative and very harmful and hurtful relationship with her grandmother and you know she was like I mean, I'll, I'll still read your book and right. I'm so excited to read it but and and that was something that I think um yeah like as long as we can take from just you know our ancestors in general right it's not necessarily our biological grandmothers or abuelitas but these are all women who um you know fought the fight for us right for future generations of women um for future generations of black women for future generations of cuban women and latina women um and so so yeah I'm, i'm glad that you were able to to still find abuelita energy um for sure (laughs) for sure yeah that's so good Thank you so much for listening to The Protagonistas. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.